Well, well we are going to begin a, a new series this, this uh, fall and into the spring on the epistle of Paul to Titus. And as uh, we begin, what I want to do actually this morning is provide you with a character sketch of Titus before we actually get into a verse-by-verse study of Paul's letter to this wonderful partner in ministry, this son of the, in the faith for the Apostle Paul. So this morning, we'll look at who Titus was, and that particularly ties into the salutation that Paul writes in the beginning of his letter to Titus. He writes this in Titus chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time manifested, even his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior." The Apostle Paul here describes Titus as his true child in a common faith. Now we're going to unpack this salutation in greater detail next Sunday. But let's consider who this individual was. And let's look first throughout the New Testament to build a picture of Titus and his relationship to the Apostle Paul. We can title this study, this character sketch, Titus, a portrait of partnership. If there is one word that really describes Titus, it is the word partnership. And this partnership we'll see manifest, manifest itself in, in four distinct areas of Titus's life and ministry as it relates to the Apostle Paul. First of all, we're going to see that he is a willing instrument in a very, very unique context. We'll see that he is a skilled ambassador We'll see him also portrayed as a trustworthy pastor and finally a tireless labor, laborer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now just a little bit of background before we get into those four portraits that we can take from Titus's life. It's interesting to note that Titus is never mentioned in the book of Acts, even though he would have factored in to the missionary journeys of Paul, specifically his second and third missionary journeys, primarily his third, he would have factored into the third missionary journey of Paul, but Luke never mentions Titus. The only knowledge that we can gain about Titus is actually from Paul's own writings about him. And there are several instances beyond the letter to Titus where Paul makes reference to him. So if we would put this, these references that Paul makes to Titus on the timeline of Paul's life, you would essentially see these references gravitate to four specific time periods, very crucial time periods in Paul's life. First of all, we're going to see, and it's going to be related to his, the first lesson, the first portrait that we get from Titus, we're going to see that Paul brings Titus to the Jerusalem council. 
in Galatians chapter 2. Secondly, we're going to see that Titus's name occurs with a series of, uh, of events that are associated with the Corinthian church. And so that time period about which Paul describes in his letters to the Corinthians will cover about three years, from about 52 or 53 to 56 AD. Then, of course, there is the letter that Paul writes to Titus around the year AD 63-64. And then, of course, uh, you probably know that Titus is one of the last names that Paul mentions in his final letter, 2 Timothy, in chapter 4, as Paul draws that letter to a close. Now, a few other things before we get into these lessons from Titus's life. A few things about his background. In fact, there's some interesting information that we can perhaps speculate about. But one thing we do know is that he was a Gentile. He's a Greek. He's going to be described as such in Galatians chapter 2, verse 3. We'll dig into that a little bit more. But he's not Jewish. So this is what marks him as different from Timothy, another uh, individual in, in Paul's life, very closely associated with Paul, and Paul calls his son. But Titus is, is not like Timothy. Timothy was a Jew. Titus was not. And that, by the way, raises the interesting uh, observance that we see in Paul's life and that Paul was not at all uh, 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 hesitant to, to describe this Gentile believer in the most closest of terms. He was a son to the Apostle Paul. His name, Titus, was a common Greek name. In fact, you probably have heard of Titus Flavius, who was the commander of the army that uh, invaded Jerusalem in AD 70 and destroyed the temple. That man's name was, was Titus, and then he eventually becomes emperor in the years uh, 79 to 81 uh, AD. Titus was a common Roman name. Now, other than that, we really don't know anything else. However, there's good, there's good reason to believe that, that Titus would call the city of Antioch in the Roman province of Syria his hometown. And the reason for that is, as we will see, Paul is going to bring Titus from the city of Antioch to Jerusalem for the Jerusalem council. He's going to be the only Gentile involved in the Jerusalem council. Paul specifically brings him from Antioch to to Jerusalem for that council. Again, we don't know anything about Titus' family. However, due to some of the things I've already mentioned already, there's fairly solid speculation that Titus could have been a brother to Luke. If you remember back to June, I did a little character sketch on Luke and said that scholars are pretty certain, as church history testifies, that Luke came from Antioch, Syrian Antioch. And the reason why scholars connect Titus with Luke is that, as I said, Luke never mentions Titus, even though Titus factors into the chronology recorded, especially in the the last Uh, 12 chapters of the book of Acts. Luke never mentions him. And it's consistent with Luke's own desire to try and stay behind the scene, not to put himself in the spotlight. And and, uh, he doesn't do this with his brother either. We also know that Titus appears to have been converted under Paul's ministry because of 
how Paul relates to him. In Titus, as, as we see, Paul calls him my true child in, the com- in a common faith, a reference to the fact that Paul was instrumental in seeing him embrace Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Paul would relate to his children or call his children those who under his ministry would have converted to Christ. And he relates to Titus this way. So in our best estimate, and we have to be careful here, but in our best estimate, Titus being from Antioch was one of those who in the early ages, in the early years of the church in Antioch, when Paul gets there to minister, was one who along with Luke becomes a follower of Jesus Christ due to the influence of the Apostle Paul. And then, as we'll see, Luke or Titus then becomes instrumental in, in Paul's ministry. So let's look at the first of these portraits from, uh, from Titus's life that testify to his spirit of partnership. First of all, he's a willing instrument. This relates to the Jerusalem council in AD 49. Paul records it this way in Galatians 2 verses 1 to 5. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who are reputation. Speaking of a, a private meeting that happened only with the, the Jerusalem three. And that was Peter, James, and, and John. I did so in private to those who are of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in to there in, in Antioch, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. Now we can harmonize that somewhat with Acts 15, the, the, the circumstances that also played in to the first and only fully authoritative church council. And that is what we have in Acts 15. Luke puts it this way, Some men came down from Jerusalem to Antioch and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Circumcision was that evidence of immersion into the Jewish people, and your full submission to the Mosaic law. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others, Titus would have been in that, some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning the issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Now, the central question of the Jerusalem council recorded in Acts 15 was, was, was related to the Gentiles. Can a Gentile who has never been a follower of the Mosaic law, including never been circumcised, never follow any of the food laws, never 
perform any of the sacrifices, so on and so forth. Can a Gentile move from that pagan lifestyle immediately into the church and confess himself to be a follower of Jesus Christ and be considered part of the people of God? That was the question. And, and it took time for the early believers there to figure that out because up until that point, the people of God were the nation of Israel and, and they all, as, as a, a mark of that identity, had to submit themselves to the Mosaic requirements, circumcision being foremost. And so they had to work through that. And so the issue is here, can a, can a Gentile be saved without submitting himself to the Mosaic law and its requirement of circumcision? So what does Paul do? Paul says, Titus, you're, you're coming with me. We have a trek. We've got to go down to, we got to go down to Jerusalem, or as they would say in those days, up to Jerusalem. We've got to go south, up to Jerusalem, to this council. Paul brings Titus, who is the only Greek that we know of, the only Gentile in that context, as a specimen. It would have been immediately a red flag to the Judaizing party. Can you imagine that? They're all in a room, and of course they first had the meeting with the apostles together, and then they come into the room of the council where all the elders and the the apostles were together, and Paul comes in side by side with Titus. Wait a minute. What is he doing here? He's a Gentile. He has not observed the Mosaic law. But the conclusion was that Titus did not need to undergo circumcision. And of course, while it required debate for a a time, the conclusion was that Titus would go home to the church in Antioch uncircumcised. And that was with the full blessing of the apostles and the church in Jerusalem. Now here you find it that even though Titus's role was very passive. He just needed to be there and to to be used by Paul to say, listen, hear this man, his conversion. Hear how he loves Christ. Consider the gospel and then tell me, does he need to be circumcised? Or can you, as he is right now, share the Lord's Supper together? What do you say? Paul, of course, knew the answer to that. And it took a little bit of time. And you can imagine Titus probably awkwardly standing there with all these eyes on him, he's the Gentile in the room, and, and at the end of it, the believers come around and say, Titus, you're one of us. Let's share in the Lord's Supper. He served as Exhibit A, you could say, this willing instrument of Paul's gospel ministry at a very crucial time in the history of the church, where God in His gracious providence kept that church together to prevent it from splitting into a a Jewish sect and a Gentile sect. Titus, in that sense, was pivotal in keeping the church unified. And the apostles there, for our benefit, concluded very clearly that Titus needed nothing to add to his faith in Jesus Christ. One writer puts, the, puts it this way, Titus was exhibit A, evidence that he could be examined, living proof that a Gentile who had not come under the law of Moses could still demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit that were a sign of a regenerate man in Christ. Now, undoubtedly, Paul would not have just taken anybody. He obviously already had an affinity for this man, Titus. And we can see that Titus 
by this time had already developed that relationship with Paul. Paul's able to bring him to a very difficult situation. And there's a beautiful picture here of what Titus was able to do as an exhibit for the sake of the faith of Gentiles who would follow after, including us. Number two, Titus was a skilled ambassador. And it's probably here where we know most of of Titus, though again, through these incidental remarks made by Paul. And we know in particular that Titus was in Corinth at least in the years 80, 55 to 56, but probably even earlier. We have to go back a little bit and and consider that Paul planted the church in Corinth during an 18-month stay on his second missionary journey. That would have been about the years 80, 50 to 80, 52. And we have that period of time recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 18. Paul, is, Paul takes the gospel to Corinth. He arrives there under considerable discouragement. The Lord appears to him there and says to him, Paul, I'm with you, and I have many people in this incredibly immoral city. I have many people. The elect stay, and no one will harm you. And Paul stays 18 months, plants the church there. But due to the extremely immoral background of those converts, the early years of that church were marked by three things in particular. They were marked by conflict, strife, internal divisions, carnality. Read of that especially in chapters 5 and 6 of 1 Corinthians. Some pretty atrocious carnality. And then chaos. They didn't know how to, how to use the spiritual gifts. They were being selfish in that it was all for themselves. And this was a church that was in shambles, not due to Paul, but due to their background and all the baggage they brought in. But Paul has to continue ministry. He doesn't stay in Corinth. And we find him then on his third missionary journey, actually across the sea, the Aegean Sea. He spends three years located 200 miles to the west of Corinth, in Turkey, modern-day Turkey, in Asia, in those days, the province of Asia. Paul is there for three years, uses Ephesus as a ministry center, and sends ministry partners out and takes them in. He probably does a little bit of travel during this time as well. But his concern continues to be on the state of the Corinthian church. When Paul is there in Acts chapter 19... The whole chapter pretty much covers Paul's time there in Ephesus. You don't really read of Paul interacting with the Corinthians, but we read from Paul's letters to the Corinthians that he certainly was interacting with them during his time in Ephesus. And Titus came during this time to play a crucial role for Paul in Corinth, serving as Paul's special ambassador or envoy to that Corinthian church. And we won't go into the details. It's, it's a lot of careful checking and, and, and uh, comparing texts, but we can see that Paul sent Titus to the troubled church in Corinth at least three times. He sent, them fir- he sent him first to arrange uh, a, uh, a love offering for the church in Jerusalem. Paul began making a plan early, early on during the third missionary journey that he would go back to Jerusalem and he wanted to bring a love offering from the Gentile churches to to Jerusalem. But the churches needed time. And so he sent Titus, first of all, to go through all the churches that he planted on his second missionary journey. 
and to tell them about this gift so that they could begin collecting. A second trip that we know of is that Paul sent Titus specifically from Ephesus to Corinth to explain and apply the instructions of 1 Corinthians. So Paul had written to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, while he was there in Ephesus, sends it across the sea, he finds out that they're having problems with 1 Corinthians, and so who does he send? He sends Titus across the sea to Corinth and says to Titus, Titus, you go explain what I meant and show them how to apply it. And then there's a third trip that Titus goes on for Paul's sake. When Titus will be sent by Paul from Macedonia, from the north, he sends him to Corinth to bring the letter of 2 Corinthians to the Corinthians. So we see that Paul is, is using Titus in, in many different ways to do his ministry activities that he himself does not have the time or the ability to do. Now, Paul had other men like that as well. Timothy is one of those. And we read that Timothy as well had been commissioned by Paul to go to Corinth to try and and bring some help. But the problem was, was that Timothy was timid. In fact, Paul even admits this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He says, if Timothy comes, see to it, that he is with you without cause to be afraid. For he's doing the Lord's work as I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace, that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. The problem with Timothy here for a situation like like that in Corinth was that Timothy was too timid. He, as we know even elsewhere, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, Paul has to say to Timothy, let no one look down on you for your youthfulness. Timothy seems to have this complex where he was a little insecure, especially in certain contexts. Perhaps timid to speak up or to speak boldly and to speak directly. Timothy had been commissioned, but from what we can tell, Timothy was not able to do anything in the Corinthian context. Paul had even asked Apollos to go to Corinth to help him. He'd asked Apollos to go. Now, Apollos was already known by the Corinthian church early on. Remember, in that early church, the, 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 the divisions that had happened were along party lines. So there were those saying, I'm of Peter or Cephas. I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos. So there was an element in the Corinthian church that even loved Apollos. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, concerning Apollos, our, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brother. I don't know for sure. Perhaps Apollos had other obligations, or perhaps he knew that his talents, specifically his preaching talents, were not what was most needed there in the Corinthian context. So what does he do? Paul sends Titus. After writing and sending 1 Corinthians, Paul sends Titus, this is the second trip, to from Ephesus to Corinth in the attempt to bring about the Corinthian repentance. He sends them across the sea. They had agreed that Titus would have an amount of time in Corinth to press the contents of 1 Corinthians. They had already had the letter for some time. 
Titus was sent to say, hey, you have to listen to this. This is the word of the Lord. But Paul had said to Titus beforehand, look, I'm going to give you some time, and then I'm going to come to Corinth too, but I'm going to head up, not across the Aegean, but I'm going to head up north, and then through Macedonia I'll come down. But let's meet in the city of Troas at this date. And so they had agreed beforehand, sent Titus on his way. The time comes for Paul to leave Ephesus, to go up to Troas, to the meeting point, and guess what? Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians, when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit for not finding Titus, my brother. My brother. But taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. Paul even had an opportunity there to do some great preaching. But notice what Paul does. He actually turns down the opportunity. A great door. Because he had been there in Troas for the primary reason of meeting up with Titus, and his prayer had been that Titus would come with a report that the Corinthians had finally repented. That they had accepted the contents of 1 Corinthians They were repentant and they were now growing. Paul had so earnestly wanted to hear about that in Troas, but he gets there and no Titus. That is not a good sign. And Paul, you can understand, was so troubled that he says, I can't preach. And so he continues there from Troas across the the, the sea there to what's called Macedonia, and and we don't know the details specifically, but Paul probably would have gone up uh, to Philippi first and then started walking on the Via Ignatia down to Thessalonica. Now somewhere there, as Paul travels, he would always stop at uh, churches, and he would stop at the church in Philippi, and then in Thessalonica, and somewhere there, guess who was there? Titus was on his way over to catch up with Paul. We read of this in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5 to 9. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he, is, he was comforted in you, as he reported to us your longing, your mourning your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. He continues a little bit later there in 2 Corinthians 7, verses 13 to 16. For this reason we have been comforted. And besides our comfort, we rejoiced even much more for the joy of Titus. Because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I was not put to shame. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, so also our boasting before Titus proved to be the truth. His affection abounds all the more toward you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that in everything I have confidence in you. It was at that point then that 
Paul writes this all in 2 Corinthians, there in Macedonia, either Philippi or Thessalonica, writes it all and says to Titus, okay, Titus, I want you to bring back 2 Corinthians. I'm right behind you. I'll get there soon. You go first. And so Titus turns around, now with 2 Corinthians, and brings it back to the church. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians, Corinthians in that very letter, but thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. You see in Titus, such a capable ambassador, because what does he do with respect to that cantankerous Corinthian church marked by chaos, carnality, and conflict. What did he do? He took the same spirit, the same attitude as the Apostle Paul, and said, Paul, I will go and do your bidding there. He was a skilled ambassador. And that is why Paul refers to him with very powerful descriptions. He says in 2 Corinthians 8.23 of Titus, as for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. In many ways, Paul looked on Titus as really co-pastor there in the Corinthian church. He refers to him as a partner, koinonas. And you know from koinonia, the idea of sharing, one who takes part in something with someone else. And then sunergas, you know that word too, synergy. It has the idea that fellow worker, that one who works together with someone else. Paul looked at Titus and said, we are together under the same yoke. And for the Apostle Paul to say that of Titus, this man of whom we know so little, is a very significant thing. One writer writes, an achiever of immediate practical results in difficult situations. Speaking of Titus, Not for a moment is he to be compared with Barnabas and Apollos as a preacher, nor was he a writer like Luke and Mark, but he was a man who could do things at any time and anywhere. And wherever Paul had a task too difficult for any other of his friends, he turned to Titus. And Titus never refused, and Titus never failed. There's a third lesson we can learn. He's not only a willing instrument and a skillful ambassador. He was also a trustworthy pastor. We're going to spend a lot of time in this because this portrait of of Titus arises from the circumstances of the writing of that letter to Titus. Titus would have been in Crete around the years 8063 to 8064. We read the salutation of Titus and we read there that Paul a bondservant of God or a slave of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, writes to Titus, whom he calls his true child in a common faith, and says, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains. Now what we can tell about this particular episode in Titus' life is that after Paul's first Roman imprisonment, We read of that in Acts chapter 28, verses 30 to 31. Right at the end of the book of Acts, Luke leaves off with Paul under house arrest in Rome. 
And then it's there that Paul writes the prison letters of Ephesians and Philippians. He writes Colossians and Philemon. And we read from those letters that Paul was confident he was going to be released. He knew the law. He knew where he stood. And it's actually Nero in those early years who releases Paul. So Paul is released from that house arrest. And as he's released, Paul goes on a fourth missionary journey. Now previously, Paul had thought of going to Spain. But all we can tell from the pastoral letters that were written after was that Paul never made it to Spain, but instead his missionary journey surrounded the area that we call the Aegean area. Actually, areas pretty much that Paul had ministered in before, with the exception of Crete. Paul had been on Cretan soil for just a short time because of the boat journey that uh, he took from, uh, from Judea to, to, Jerusalem, or to Rome on that uh, voyage that is, that is recorded in the last chapters of the book of Acts. But he never ministered there. But on the fourth missionary journey, Paul decides to go to this island and plant churches. But Paul does not remain there long. He doesn't remain long to establish churches and and to go through the lengthy process of instruction, instead, Paul leaves the ministry to Titus. And Paul, on his part, leaving the island, goes up to the city of Nicopolis, which is kind of on the other side from Athens. And he leaves Titus there, in Crete, and says, listen, set everything that needs to be set in place. And then he says in chapter 3, verse 12, he said, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Now, like Corinth, Crete was a difficult place to minister. The, the Cretans were not a very fun people to be with, especially if you were a foreigner. One of their own poets, a man by the name of Epimenides, a 6th century poet, Paul's going to quote from him, made the statement, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Paul quotes that statement in his own letter to Titus. Notice how he describes the, the Cretans to Titus. Having left Titus there, he then says, For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are, setting, uh, they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Not a very politically correct thing to say, uh, but, hey, this, this is Paul, and, he, and, and so he says this, he characterizes the Cretans this way. He says, this testimony is true. They are liars, they are evil, and they are gluttons. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. Now, as we're going to study the letter of Titus, to Titus, the tone of that letter never indicates that Paul ever questioned Titus's ability as a pastor. He never doubts Titus's ability to 
minister in this land of liars and lazy gluttons. In fact, Paul expects Titus to actually finish the job of establishing churches pretty quickly. He says to Titus, I'm in Nicopolis to the north on the opposite side of the land of, of, of uh, Macedonia as Athens. And they're on the Adriatic side. He says, I'm there. I'm just there for the winter. Come join me. And the assumption is there's other things to do. But Paul expects Titus to accomplish this task quickly. One writer writes, St. Paul writes as if he did not fear any weakness on Titus's part and as if he expected Titus to be fully competent for the hard task assigned to him. When we get into the letter to Titus, we're going to see the challenges that Titus had in his hands, the kind of instruction that uh, Paul gives to Titus as to what Titus needed to do in terms of establishing order in those Cretan churches and, and instructing them in sound doctrine as well as sound godly behavior. So we see him there as that trustworthy pastor. He is able to work with a very, very difficult uh, kind of people and Paul has all confidence in his ability. Finally, we see Titus as a tireless laborer. A tireless laborer. Now we get to that fourth point on the timeline of the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. That fourth point where the life of Titus intersects with with Paul's life. And this is right at the end of Paul's life, A.D. 66, A.D. 67, we see the last glimpse, the last mention of Titus, and it comes in Paul's last letter, 2 Timothy, which Paul wrote, again, now from Rome, in prison, but this time Paul expects his life to end. He's confident his course of ministry is over. So he writes to Timothy a last letter, to give final instructions to his other son in the faith. And it is here that we find that Titus was busy in ministry in the Roman province of Dalmatia, which is south Illyricum. We read this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9-10. to He says this to Timothy. Timothy, make every effort to come to me soon, For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Then he makes this statement. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Now there is some, a little bit of speculation by some scholars that these other two names, Crescens and Titus, were like Demas and that they had abandoned Paul. But it's best when looking at the language not to group Crescens and Titus with Demas. Demas' motivation was monetary. He loved the world. It was material. And he abandoned the Apostle Paul. But the, the best way to understand this is that these two other individuals, Crescens and Titus, were both 
with Paul there in Rome, but had been dispatched for ministry's sake, leaving Paul shorthanded. One writer, one commentator writes this, it is highly unlikely that Titus was to be counted among those who fled the apostle in his hour of need. Paul seems simply to be reporting the fact that Titus and Crescens have gone on to other fields of service, very likely at the bidding of Paul himself. And so, roughly speaking, we can look at this chronology as kind of the ending of Paul's life, particularly as it relates to Titus. As Paul had requested back in the letter that he wrote to Titus, in Titus 3 verse 12, Paul says, Come to Nicopolis. Remember Titus 3.12, come to Nicopolis, I'm spending the winter there. After you have set everything in order, come join me there. Now, what happens then, we don't really know, but somehow Paul is arrested at some point after that, and he's taken to Rome to face trial that will end in, in death. So, Paul is in Rome, and the best that we can tell is that somehow Titus is also there in Rome. Because when Paul writes 2 Timothy, he talks about the departure of Titus. So Titus had somehow made it up to Rome as well. And then, at that point in Paul's imprisonment, Paul sends Titus to a region called Dalmatia, It's around modern-day Croatia. And it seems like Paul did so in order to continue the work of the ministry. And it, it shows this tireless activity that Titus was committed to. And understand this, it was not by that point an easy place to be in to be associated either with Paul or the gospel of Jesus Christ. Persecution was already beginning at this time. And at this time already, Paul and and Peter as well are are being condemned to death because are under the accusation of treason. They believed in a different Lord. Titus, for his part, had even shown his willingness to associate with Paul there in Rome. Rome a thing that could even bring him under great scrutiny by the Roman officials. But Titus is also willing to receive the the request by Paul there in prison. Titus, listen, I need you to go to Dalmatia. I need you to go there and continue the work of ministry. And Titus goes on his way, fulfilling Paul's request, being that tireless laborer, or as Paul said in his own words, that dear partner and fellow worker in the ministry. Just a few final comments on the life of Titus as we wrap up and begin to set our minds toward this letter that Paul will write to him. F.F. Bruce writes this about Titus, We must remain ignorant of much of what we would like to know. But we can be grateful for what we do know about Titus, a fine example of Christian integrity and responsible service in the circle of Paul's friends. 
Another commentator writes this, he was a man of force who knew how to drive things through, a lieutenant to be trusted at a critical moment, a man to be counted on in an emergency. So this is the Titus who receives this letter that we will study. And as we move forward in our study, keep these portraits in mind of this man Titus, and that will help us to understand why Paul writes to him the instructions that he does. Let's pray. Father, it is so marvelous to us that you can use human instruments who are fallible and frail and limited. You can use those instruments, instruments that are ordinary and don't even survive in the annals of history outside of your word. You can use them for amazing things. We're thankful for the example of Titus in this way and how he factors in to the progress of the gospel as it proceeded from Jerusalem. We ask your hand of blessing to be upon our study as now we dive into this inspired letter. The letter that came through the pen of the Apostle Paul by the superintendents of the Spirit giving instruction to this special ministry partner about how he was to assist in the establishment of the church. And we pray that as we read the things written to Titus, we would take them to heart, that these words would press deeply and transform our lives so that it would be as if Titus himself were instructing us these words, having received them by your apostle Paul. We ask all of this for the glory of your Son and for the honor and dignity of your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.